love you guys, and uh, it really is a joy and a privilege to get to be uh, your pastor and to get to do what I do uh, for the kingdom of God. It's an interesting thing being a pastor because, you know, I don't really see it as a job. It really is a call. Um, you know, for some of you guys that know me, uh, that, I mean, as soon as I became a Christian, I was like, okay, this is the life for me. And, and, uh, and really, I just, I, I'm so appreciative of you guys. And it's great. I didn't even know it was, uh, I didn't even know it was Pastor Appreciation Sunday. I didn't even know that was a thing. Uh, so anyway, uh, but good morning to you guys. Welcome to Living Hope Church. My name is Mike Sandusky. Uh, I am the lead pastor here. Uh, David, who did the announcements this morning, he's our associate pastor, or executive pastor, kind of in charge of the, the, the serious things at our church. Uh, I, I te- I'm, I'm like, uh, you know, I mean, I guess the operational things at the church, you know, and some of the serious things. We let you do some of that. But uh, anyway, uh, so uh, if you are a guest this morning, we're so glad that you're here. Uh, really, our heart for everyone here this morning is that you would encounter Jesus. Um, that's our number one goal. The reality is uh, that it is not an accident that you're here. Um, we worship a living God, a God who is alive and who is active. Uh, he's not far off and distant. Rather, he wants to walk with you uh, in your daily life. And, uh, and really, our heart today would be that you would encounter uh, God in his word. We're going to read from the word today. Uh, we read from the word every week, teach from the word. And, uh, and really, the heart is that you would see Jesus as he's revealed himself in the Bible. You'd see God as he reveals himself in the Bible, and, uh, and God would speak to you and stir you and call you uh, into greater purposes for your life. And um, if you've been coming for the last few weeks, uh, you know we're in a series in Galatians. If, uh, if you're new to the church or you've just been coming the last couple of weeks, we're working through the book of Galatians, and uh, we're 14 weeks into this. And today we're going to be in uh, chapter 4. Uh, the sermon today is called Walking in God's Promise, which, let me just say, that sounds really pleasant, right? You stitch that into a pillow, boom, it's like, I'm walking in God's promise. But in reality, when we look at the the Bible, and we see the characters that God called and invited into the life that he had for them, walking in God's promises uh, is wrought with challenges, what we would call like a challenge of faith. Uh, as you walk with God, uh, often you don't necessarily see what's ahead. You have a promise, uh, but the, the process of getting from God's call uh, and the promise uh, way out in front can often be very challenging. And our passage uh, that we're reading in Galatians talks talks about uh, a couple of characters from the Old Testament named Abraham and Sarah. Uh, and Abraham and Sarah were, were, were actually two of the uh, sort of original people who walked by faith in the Bible. Uh, and, and so uh, as we read our passage, we're going to go back and we're going to look at the context uh, that the passage talks about in regards to Abraham and Sarah. And we're really asking the question, like from these Bible stories, from, uh, from these, uh, these, these characters in the, in the Word of God and these truths that we're seeing in Galatians, how does this apply to our life? Like, what does this mean for you and I in the way that we live our lives as Christians, as believers in Jesus? So what I'm going to do is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this Galatians passage. We started it last week. We actually read this passage. Uh, and as I read it, uh, hopefully, you know, you're, you're drawing from it. It is a little bit of a, uh, of a more complicated passage. But as soon as you begin to understand the, the story behind the passage, the story of Abraham and Sarah, uh, this passage makes a lot more sense to us. So we're going to read it. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to jump in this morning. So this is what Galatians 4 says. It says, as verses 21 through 31, it says, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, 
Do you not listen to the law? Now hold on, let me pause for a second. It's important to know. What does he mean when he says the law? So specifically, the law in the Old Testament uh, was the system that revealed what a righteous life looked like. So, right? so the law said this is what it is to live righteously. Uh, and the law also said it's up to you. Uh, so the law sort of means two things. It's good in the sense that it reveals righteousness, but it's heavy in the sense that it says it depends on your efforts and your righteousness, right? And so you who desire to be on the law, under the law, that's a person uh, who really desires to live life by their effort, proving themselves righteous before God, which was one of the challenges in the Old Testament. And I don't know if you've read the Old Testament or not, but basically everyone failed. Uh, and then the New Testament's like, all have fallen short of the glory of God. Like, none of us can carry this burden. Uh, and Paul here is like, hey, you who desire to live by your own effort, by the law, do you not actually listen to the law? Do you not, have you really paid attention to what it says? And then he goes on in verse 22. He says, for it is written that Abraham, this Old Testament character we're going to look at in a minute, he had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born according, uh, or through the promise. So one was born by human effort, human decision, the flesh, and one was born by the promises of God, through the promises of God. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women represent two covenants, one from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, uh, she corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. This is who we are in Christ. We are children of promise, meant to be free, not enslaved. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman with her son, for the, slave, or the, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I, I pray this morning that you would give us insight into your word, that you would help us to understand uh, this somewhat complex passage uh, from Galatians 4. Father, I pray this morning you would reveal yourself to us. Open our eyes, uh, open the eyes of our heart. Father, speak to us deep. Uh, and who we are. Lord, I just pray right now your Holy Spirit would come and stir us, raise our faith, encounter us in power this morning. Lord, as I preach your word, I, I pray that it would be uh, powerful to us. Lord, every time your truth is proclaimed, uh, it has power. Lord, your word will never return void, and I just ask this morning that you would move in power among us. Help us to be a people who walk by faith, Lord, even though that means we give up our control, that means we give up uh, us having our lives in our hands and we hand it all over to you, Lord, I pray we'd be a people who walk by faith. And Lord, I pray for those this morning who struggle, uh, God, who, who, who are struggling with the hard uh, things of this life or struggling with difficult circumstances. Father, are those who they just can't let go of their control of their own life. Father, I pray today for breakthrough. I pray for healing where we're broken, and I pray for life and stirring where we need to rely on you more. Jesus, we pray you do all these things in your name. Amen. Amen. All right. So again, 
Uh, it is so important. Like the, when, when Paul is writing this letter to the Galatians, uh, he's writing to a crowd who would have been very familiar with these stories. That's why we're going back and talking about the story uh, of Abraham and Sarah. And, and you may have known, if you go back and you read these stories, actually Abraham and Sarah, uh, interestingly enough, they actually had other names uh, before they were Abraham and Sarah. They were Abram and Sarai. Uh, and, and basically the idea uh, is that when God meets us and encounters us, uh, he changes our identity. You might get uh, a new name. In fact, you do get a new name. You get a name, uh, you are now a son or a daughter uh, of God when you come to Christ. And, uh, but th- this, that's the idea here is that if you read these stories, you'll, you'll note that sometimes it says Abram, sometimes it says Sarah as we read, or Sarai as we read these things. I'm going to say Abraham and Sarah every time just for simplicity's sake because otherwise my brain gets all jumbled. Uh, but anyway... Uh, so uh, we're going to recap the story because we, 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 this is part two of a, of a two-part sermon. We started it last week, but if you missed it, that's okay. I will recap the story of Abraham and Sarah here. Um, so Abraham, we meet Abraham uh, while he is in great comfort. His life is going well. Things are going smooth for him. He lives in his homeland. He lives with his family. He's wealthy. His dad's wealthy. They've got a good name. He's married Uh, but he has no children, Uh, and he's about 75 years old, all right, so he's an older guy, right, 75 years old, that's like well past retirement age in in our culture, like that's like the time where things end, it's not the time where things begin, Uh, and when we meet Abraham, what happens is uh, God comes to Abraham in his comfort, and God says to Abraham, I want you to come with me, I want you to go with me into the wilderness, He invites Abraham to leave his home, leave his comfort, and go with God. And God makes him a promise. He says, I will bless you greatly. And you, because I'm blessing you greatly, will be a blessing to the nations. So that's what we call a promise. God, I want you to know every single one of you in here, God has promise for you. If you haven't come to Jesus, he has a promise in Jesus for you, a life, eternal life. The Bible says that anyone who believes in him will not die, but will have eternal life. When your physical body uh, dies and passes away, the Bible says that in Christ there's a promise that you will have eternal life. As you become a Christian, you realize that once you believe in Jesus, your eternal life begins, right? There's so much promise in Christianity. But the thing about promise is sometimes promise is far off. And the difference between God's call in your life today or God's call in Abraham's life here, the difference between the call and the promise has to be walked by faith with God. Does that make sense? That's again, we're, we're, we're looking at the title, it's not up there anymore, but it's walking in God's promise. So you and I as a people, we love God's promise, but the journey of faith with God into his promises is harrowing. It's not easy, right? It's not easy. Jesus himself walked this path. He was tempted by Satan. He was persecuted. He was killed on a cross. He was innocent and called guilty, and he suffered unjustly. He was betrayed by one of his dear friends. Even Jesus, as he walked into the promise of God, uh, as God, because Jesus is God in the flesh, wonderful, beautiful truth about who he is, even God, when he walked on this earth, as he walked into the promises, he walked by faith through a harrowing harrowing, uh, walk with God, kind of in the wilderness, figuratively. So God literally calls Abraham into the wilderness, to new land, to a new place, and God promises to make him great, that he would be a blessing to others. And Abraham immediately, he doesn't hesitate, he doesn't contemplate, 
He's 75 and he's like, I'm ready for something new. Uh, and actually in the promise, right, God says to Abraham, I'm gonna bless your offspring. Abraham has no children. He's 75. His wife, Sarah, at the time is in her 60s, right? And they have been trying to have children. They, re- they call her, they, to, to them, she is barren. That's part of her identity. She's unable to have children, right? And, and yet Abraham believes that somehow, someway, God is going to answer this promise. So he believes God, and he doesn't just believe God. Listen, this is important. He doesn't just believe God, he obeys God. You hear that? Like, he was in his comfort. He's in this wonderful place. God calls him to go, and he doesn't just say, yes, I'll go on Sundays. He says, I'll go. I'll give my life to you. Like, I I want you to know, if you're in here and you are a believer in Christ, you're a Christian, the call is not part-time. The call is not a little. The call is a full surrender into the life that Jesus has for you, right? Like Jesus fully gave himself to call you to a life where you're fully given yourself. And here's the thing, like at first that sounds like it costs a lot, but when you really see who Jesus is, the Bible says that, that, that the kingdom of God, the gospel of Jesus is like treasure hidden in a field, that as you dig and you find it, once you really see the treasure that is the life Jesus has for you, the call of Jesus. Once you really see salvation in Christ, the kingdom of God, it it is so wonderful that in your joy you will sell everything to have that. You'll lay it all down, your whole life, your dreams, your plans, all things to have what Jesus has for you. The life that God has for you is infinitely better. It's not even close. It's infinitely better than the life that you have for yourself. And it's not primarily a life of material gain. It's not primarily a life of like ease and comfort. It's a life of things that are truly life, spiritual life, life with God, obedience. Jesus says it's better to give than receive. It's better uh, to, to, to serve than to be served. Right? And, and these things sound counterintuitive, but as you walk with Jesus in them, you find glorious life, glorious transformation, and God will do things in you that money cannot do. He will do things in you that you cannot do. He will change your heart and forge your character and make you come alive, fill you with light, fill you with love, fill you with joy, peace, strength, as you walk with him. As we walk with God, we've got to do so. We can't just do so uh, in belief that doesn't take action. Abraham believed and he obeyed, right? Belief should lead to action. What does, what sort of, uh, what sort of actions in your life reveal your faith, right? Like, do you, do you have faith that moves you or do you have faith that's theoretical? Do you have faith that affects your life with Jesus? Because I believe this, like, you read the New Testament. Read, if you haven't read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, read them. Those are the gospel accounts. If you're a Christian and you've never read those, like, brothers and sisters, you've got to read those. Read the book of Acts. When you read those books and you see the life the disciples live, those are li- their lives of full surrender. Their lives where if you were, man, if, if, if Christians were living this way, if all of us were living this way, our world would be a radically different place for the better. Right? It's the part-time Christianity that, that lacks power. But when you fully surrender to God, you will see a complete transformation. But this, this takes us not just believing God, but also obeying God, all right? And we don't obey out of our own effort. We obey as we see the beauty and the wonder and the treasure. We obey as, as we really recognize what's at stake. Jesus says, you will see the truth and the truth will set you free, all right? As you see the truth, as you see who Jesus is, he sets you free from hoping in this world, from hoping in your own effort, all right? Abraham saw, he obeyed. And immediately after he obeys, this is wild, 
immediately after he obeys, in like the very next section, it says he believed in God, and God counted it to him as righteousness, and Abraham went. And then it says a famine hit the land. Immediately a trial comes. This will happen as you walk with God, right? Even Jesus himself, if you didn't know this, when his ministry started, uh, here's, a, here's a crazy Bible fact for you. Like the, the public ministry of Jesus, so like the active part of Jesus' life where he's doing all his miracles and doing all the work is three years long. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John record primarily three years of Jesus' life, right? And those three years, he completely changed the world. That's a, that's a wild thing, right? You can't even finish high school in three years. Jesus, like, changed all human history in three years, right? Raised a bunch of dead people. Like, like it's, it's wild what, what Jesus was able to do in three years. Uh, but that ministry, Jesus' call, it started. One of the very first things that happens is uh, he gets baptized in water, and then it says the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness where he was tempted. He, well, actually, he, he fasted. For 40 days and 40 nights, uh, and while he was fasting, he was being tempted by Satan. All right, so Jesus walks into the promise and the call of God, begins to obey, begins to say, okay, I'm going to live my life of faith, and immediately a trial comes. Immediately a trial comes, right? He's tempted. Abraham, he, he, he starts to walk by faith. He says, I'll go with you, God, into the wilderness, and immediately a trial comes. Famine hits the land. This will happen to you. But there's some, it's not, this isn't because God's cruel. It's because, like, like, like when you, if you were a blacksmith making swords, in order to make swords, they can't be cool, right? You can't shape something that's cool. You got to heat it up. You got to put it in the fire. And it's not a problem with the blacksmith. It's the nature of the sword, right? You are like that. You, you got, there's got to be heat applied if God's going to change you. It's not on his end, right? Like, and actually, if you think about it, you really can forge a, 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 like a cold weapon. Uh, it's just not going to be as strong, and it's gonna, you're going to have to hit it way harder, uh, right? Uh, and so like, this, is, this is the nature of how humans grow, right? We live in a culture that's sort of like, like trying to soften the blow, remove all the heat. God's like, no, nah, like, this, is, this is how I've made you, to be tempered, to be forged by fire. The Old Testament says, like, iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. And, and, and uh, uh, in, in the New Testament, it talks about how as we come to God, uh, he shapes us through the trials and does work in our lives uh, that is more precious than gold. Um, and so when we go, we will face trial. Abraham goes. He immediately faces trial. This leads Abraham into Egypt. He ends up going into Egypt uh, and, uh, and then another trial comes, and, and in order to protect himself, he actually sins. He tries to take control, right? He, he, he wrestles control from God. He, he takes control himself. He sins. He lies to the Egyptians. This leads to his family getting kicked out, and they get kicked out into even more trials. The events of Sodom and Gomorrah happen right after that. After he gets kicked out of Egypt, Sodom and Gomorrah happens, right? They get thrown into the part of the wilderness where the craziest people live, like a very violent people live. <coughs> And he ends up there, All right? And that's sort of where we left off last week. And the big idea last week, which I've been kind of getting at here, uh, is that uh, it was really looking at the difference of walking by the law, being under the law, and walking by promise. What's the difference here? And again, I, I've sort of said this, but walking by the law, it's walking by our effort. You and I, we get control, but it will lead us away from God's promises. It will lead us to burden. It will lead us away from God's goodness. It will lead us away from God's freedom and into slavery. However, walking by promise, 
right? That's walking by faith. That's trusting God in all, any and all circumstances. Not trusting God to accomplish your plan for your life, right? That's a deceptive, false gospel that gets preached in our culture. Like, if you just walk with God, he'll give you all the desires of your heart. And it's like, no, 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 he'll give you new desires for your heart, right? He, he, he will completely change who you are, right? He, he will give you, he will give you, he will show you his kingdom and call you into it, to a life that's so much better, than any life you could plan for yourself. It's hard to articulate these things because the Bible's full of this story. Um, you know, and this church is full of testimony of this. But it's something God's calling you to walk personally. Like, no one can walk in obedience for you. No one can live your spiritual life for you. Right? It takes faith to believe these promises of God. And to walk by faith, to walk in the promises of God, that means through all circumstances, we trust God. Through all circumstances, we give up control to God. When my life is at its best, every moment, every second, every day, every hour, it is handed over to Jesus, all right? And that doesn't mean I just sit around like, you know, constantly like reading the Bible or like, it means I'm constantly like, Lord, what do you have for me today? What do you want me to do today, all right? It means, it's, it's, and it's, it's not saying like, oh Lord, I'm gonna give you my life so you give me something back. It's no, it's like, Lord, take this hour, take these minutes, take my time, my energy, my gifts, because you know what to do with them. I don't. I'll bend them to the self. I'll live selfishly, right? That's what most of us are tempted to do is, is, is build a kingdom of our own, to build our own kingdom, to build our own life. But Jesus is calling us to build the kingdom you were meant for, the kingdom of God, to build his kingdom. All right, so there's a big difference between walking by your own effort and walking in faith. One, you're in control, but it leads to death. The other, you give up control, and you find life. And it's a little counterintuitive, but man, again, you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you will see this theme over and over and over again in the book of John. And we ended last week by asking this question, what is God calling you to do? And ask yourself, like, what is God calling you to? Are you in here, and God's been calling you to something for a while, and you've resisted, right? So like, what is God speaking to your life? Is he calling you to more? Is he calling you to full surrender? Is he saying, hey, I want you to, to jump in with me in this life? Has he been stirring your heart quietly? And you're like, I think there's something here. Like, take a step forward. That, so that it was first asking, what's God's calling you to do? And then challenging, challenging ourselves to walk by faith into God's promise, into God's call and his life for us. So today we're going to pick up the story in Genesis 16. Um, and, uh, and we're just going to read a little bit, and then we're going to, well, we'll re- actually read a decent amount of scripture, um, and uh, we'll just see this kind of unfurl before us, unfold before us. So Genesis 16. So again, they'd just been kicked out. Things were crazy uh, in Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, and they ended up kind of moving away to another spot. Uh, and the story, we're picking up the story a little bit later on, and it, it starts with, uh, with a conversation between God. So it says, now Sar- Sarai, or Sarah, Abram's wife had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant, uh, and it may be that I shall obtain children by her. Yes, she is saying what you think she's saying. Uh, And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. And after Abram, uh, so after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to uh, Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on contempt with her mistress, or, uh, upon her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, my, uh, may the wrong done to me be on you. 
I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. Created a little conflict here between Abram and Sarah. Not a surprise, right? Um, But Abram said to Sarai, behold, your servant is in your power. Whose idea was this, honey? Uh, (laughs) Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. It's worth noting, too, i got to point this out. God shows incredible grace to Hagar, right? She kind of gets a bad rap in, in Galatians 4, like, you know, cast out the slave woman and her son. But actually, when you read what God, God is very gracious to her and merciful for, to her, and actually says, because I promised Abraham to bless him, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to bless your son. Uh, it's actually, it's wild, like, God's wonderful mercy and grace towards Hagar. Um, but this is a mess, right? This is a mess. And, and some people read this and they're like, well, Christians think they're so holy, right? And look at this mess that happens in the Bible. There's nothing up there. Look at the mess that happens in the Bible. And, and, and the thing is, is like, guys, I don't know about you, but this is real life, right? This is a story, like the Bible isn't just prescript. Prescriptive means it tells us what we should do. It's also descriptive. It tells us what happens. And this is a very human story, right? This is what we're like when we take things into our own hands. That's exactly what's happening here, right? You have this promise from God. It had been 10 years. Remember, Abram was 75 when he got called. Sarah's in her 60s, and God's like, I'm going to bless you so great. You're going to have so many kids, and they're like, okay. 10 years pass, and they're like, something is not going right, right? You've been here. You have been here with God. Lord, how long? You know, sometimes it's like two weeks, like, I started going to church, God. Why isn't everything in my life totally changed? It's been two weeks. I even went to a community group once, and I sat in there, and they, they, they didn't just talk to me about the Bible on Sunday. They talked to me about the Bible on Tuesday. That's two days in the week, God. Where, why, where, how long, Lord? You know, I've been praying for months, Lord. And, and I mean, I, I, you got to realize, like, Abraham and Sarah are like, they're two of the earliest characters in the whole of the Bible. Like, the entire Jewish religion comes from, from Abraham. And this story, this story right here, right, like 10 he's 75, it's already hopeless. Guys, it was hopeless at the beginning, and then 10 years pass. Right? It's even more hopeless. And yet, if you, I mean, like if you know the end of the story, spoiler alert, God fulfills his promise. But it's, it's, it's wild. It's wild to me. And what's crazy is while we're waiting on God's promise, we have a promise and they take it into their own hands, right? Like they, Sarah gets this crazy idea. She's like, well, you know what? We'll take control. We'll do it by our effort. We'll make the promise of God work, right? But God's promises come through faith and faithful obedience, trusting in God and doing what he calls us to do, right? Not saying, ah, I have a better way. I, I'll take control. Right? And, but that's what Sarah does here. She takes control and she's like, I mean, it's a bad idea from go, right? Like, that's obvious. Like, oh, hey, honey, why don't you marry my servant woman? She's young. I'm in my, you know. Now, now Sarah's in her six, or 70s, uh, and, and he sleeps with Hagar. Hagar gets pregnant, and now she's like, I'm the wife of treasure. I'm the wife of promise, right? And, uh, and it goes real wrong, goes real wrong. 
A new conflict arises. Multiple conflicts arise as we try to take control of God's call for our life, as we try to take control of our own lives, as we try to take control of the situation. All right, you ever notice this? Like, I, I talk about this sometimes. Like, just even the plan for our culture. Like, what the culture says, this is what you should do in life. Like, you know, you, you, you get a, you, like, you're a kid, and as a kid, you're like, oh, I can't wait to grow up. And then you grow up, and you're like, well, I, it turns out freedom uh, really isn't free. I need a job uh, to, to, like, live a life that I want. So you get a job, and then you're like, well, I don't want to work at Wendy's, or, you know, or I don't want to make, you know, a low wage my whole life, or whatever it is. Like, so I'm going to go to college, or I'm going to learn a trade, or I'm going to get some training, or, you know, I'm going to get into management. Uh, and none of those things come with more freedom, do they? Uh, no, they, all, they come, actually, they come with more work and debt on top of them. Uh, and it's so interesting, like the cultural model. It's like you're taking, you actually, in trying to get freedom, you, you, you kind of get shackled down more and more and more and more. And occasionally, someone will get really lucky, and they'll, they'll be genetically blessed with like a Patrick Mahomes arm and legs and, and brain, I guess, um, and face. He's so handsome. No, uh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> and they'll be genetically blessed, uh, and not just genetically blessed with talent, but genetically blessed with a work ethic, you know, and genetically blessed with parents who one of them happens to be a major league p- pitcher, you know, and, and then you, you just, you, so you, break, you make so much money, you break free, right? So most people are living their life hoping in the promise uh, of humanity, which is if I just can break free of the system and make enough money, I can really live my life, right? Uh, and, and, and so we're sort of living, but the whole time you're kind of getting enslaved, you're getting burdened, you, know, you got more and more weight on you. Um, and then even people who achieve at the highest levels. I talked a couple weeks ago about Tom Brady after he'd won like five Super Bowls, he still had more. And somebody's like, hey, when is, when is enough enough? And he's like, I need more Super Bowls. They're like, what's next? More Super Bowls, right? And now that he's retired, I can't imagine. He's like, man, I'm, I'm so glad I'm not playing football anymore. Right? Like, like the things of this world do not offer what they say they're going to offer. They actually chain us and shackle us. Right? And then when we die, everything in this world dies with us. The only way to take something with you is to, to attach yourself to the eternal one, Jesus, right, who gives you eternal life, which means when you come to Christ, when you come to Christ, you, you no longer are living, building things of this world. You now are attached to the one who is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the creator of all things, who will oversee all things forever. And what he does is he says, the things that you can now do, you're now building things that go into eternity. The things that we walk in now, we're building things that go into eternity. But when it's in our hands, it becomes a mess, and we see that in our story, right? Uh, when we, we don't like waiting, we don't like, you know, think about that, three to four trials over a 10-year period, the promise of God still seems far off, so they try to force God's promises. They try to create the fruit of God's promise on their own effort. When we try this, it won't go well, and yet we don't like to be out of control like this, yet walking by faith is really, you're really saying, God, I'm, I'm putting it in your hands. I'm putting my life in your hands. My skills, my gifts, everything I own is yours, Lord. Do with it as you please. It's not my own. And that kind of control, it's, it's, it's radical. But that's what faith really is. And we don't like to be out of control. We don't like to wait for God and his promises. We want it now. The wonderful thing about Jesus is I do believe there's blessing now. There's frequent blessing now. There's weighty blessing now. There's tons of blessing now. Um, but it's, it, it's often different than like, you know, when we don't know Jesus, the kinds of things that we want in our lives. And we can still fall into that. Um, we can still fall into desiring lesser things than the, the, the plan, the blessing that God has for us. But waiting on God can be hard. And the question again is, why does God do this? Well, you and I, guys, we're children of promise. We're meant to be children of faith. And a key to being 
The people were called to be is not just having faith, but having a tempered faith, a tried faith, a tested and molded faith. Again, Jesus, is, his faith was tempered and tried. He was tempted in the wilderness. Like God wants to forge something in you that cannot be forged otherwise. And you have to believe him because it's his word. He says, hey, when you walk with me and you persevere with me through trial, in faith, into my promises, it will produce in you something so incredible. My own personal testimony, like, like again, I'm a pastor, and I have, guys, I, I, most pastors don't have options. I want you to know that. Like, it's either you're a pastor or you're working, like, a job that you don't want to work, right? I, got, I had a degree. I still have a degree. I didn't get rid of it. Uh, in, in a field that, like, honestly, if I wanted to break back in, I could do that, and it's a, it's a, it's a well-paying field. It's a, it's a good place to be in, and, and, and so it's like I had options, but it was like, do I want to take control of my life? <laughs> Which is a very, right, think about that. How cultural is that message? Take control of your life, right? Or do I say, Lord, you called me to go. There's trial all around me. Because this, ha- I mean, this, I could, I could recount, I don't have time for it, but I could recount trials. After tri- trials that like, I'm literally like, it would be better to be dead than to be doing what I'm doing right now. I, awful things happening in the church, awful things happening in my friend's life, awful, and just, and my wife and I were like having our children, we had like infant children in the house, which is a very difficult stage, like imagine you, you know, you're carrying that, and then you got like the weight of a church, and the church, somebody lights the church on fire, and then you got like friends just going off the rails, betraying their spouses, and betraying their community, and publicly like speaking out negatively about me and the church, and people are hearing it, and I got strangers calling me, telling me how bad at my job I am, and, and I'm like, I just, Lord, can't I just go be a scientist again? And I prayed. And I told you guys last week, <laughs> I did submit one resume. And then I pulled it back the next day. But like most pastors don't have options. And so I was like, Lord, I'm going I'm to walk with you. And what I will tell you, it's like, it was like five years of, of terror. Like I used to, I remember there was, a, there was about an 18-month window at least. It might have been two years where every time I walked through the doors to this church, I had a panic attack. Because I was being traumatized. Like, and that, I don't mean to sound dramatic. I don't feel like I'm an easily traumatized person. Uh, but like, man, it was just like, I just was like, I want to run from this. I don't want to be in this. I don't want to work here. I don't want to, I don't want this responsibility. I don't want this burden. Everybody's telling, you know, like not every, really, that's, you, you know, you emphasize the negative. And, and it's like, but that when there's negative voices and there's terrible things happening, like, well, maybe I am really bad at this. Maybe it is my fault, you know? But as I navigated and walked through those things, it, like, I can't even, t- like, What's crazy, here's a crazy thing, like I feel like I'm able to be more vulnerable with people than I've ever been. Like I got burned bad many, many times, and it's like God gave me this like ability to love people I never had, and it came through walking with him through the worst, like getting burned. It doesn't make sense. It's like God wants to temper, he wants to forge things. There's no course that can teach that. There's no class you can take. There's nothing money can buy that will do that. But as you walk with God in faith, he will build into you a depth of joy and love and purpose and life and sacrifice that completely changes you. And you say, how could I live any other way? But it takes persevering with God. Had I given up, I would have missed out on the best things God had for me. Don't give, like, that temptation to take control of your life. That temptation to, to not walk by faith because, guys, it is hard. You know what Jesus says? Catch this. He says in Matthew 7, enter by the narrow gate. You know what the narrow gate is? Faith in God. Faith in Christ. It's not easy. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. 
It promises life, but it enslaves and leads to death. The gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Again, theoretical belief is easy. But what happens is, we see the promise of God, and it's like, God, I don't, it's not happening. So we take control, right? Abraham and Sarah taking control. This is them taking, they're like, oh, we're gonna go the way, we're gonna, we're gonna go the way we wanna go. We're gonna go the easier way. What's the easier way? Me taking control. What's the narrow way? Lord, I'm gonna trust in you. I'm gonna persevere. I'm gonna walk with you. So few people do. You know, I know you know this, right? Sometimes people are prodigals. You and I, we all have friends in here who have walked away from the faith. They've walked away from Jesus. The hard season came. The hard trial came. They were like, I can't do it. The Lord is not faithful. And they walked away. But let me tell you this, he is always faithful. Some people are prodigals who walked away. And they'll come back. And they'll be changed. And they'll wake up. And some people, unfortunately, they're choosing the way that's easy. That looks like life. But you know what's, what's crazy is, you know, I, don't, I, don't, I know very few friends who have chosen that path and genuinely seem happy. Most of the time it's sort of passing pleasure to passing pleasure. And it's, it's difficult. It's hard to watch. But Jesus, I mean, why does Jesus say this? It's like, it's not that it's our effort. Guys, like, that's, like faith isn't effort. Faith is not about your work. Faith is about, I believe something different about the world. I don't believe that my way is supposed to be easy. That everything is just supposed to come my way. That I'll never suffer. Rather, I believe that I walk by faith, not by sight. I believe that God is calling me to his promises. And there will be trial, but God's going to temper me and shape me. I was clinging to like, like the tiniest string of faith at one moment in time. And you know what's funny? When you, cl- when you learn to cling to like one strand of faith, what God will do is he'll take those strands and he'll make a rope and he'll be like, here you go. And you're like, wow, suddenly my faith can endure way more. Right? I learned to hang on in the tight, and it's like, man, I just, and also I realized I'm not in control. You know how freeing it is? You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Right? Like I am free. It does not matter what, I love you guys. It does not matter what happens to this church. I am free in Christ. I have a call. I have a purpose. And if something, you know, if a meteorite came and blew up this church right now, hey, maybe it's God's call and purpose. Some of you guys are like, oh, is that going to happen? No, it's probably not going to happen. Probably not. We can't guarantee that that won't happen. But no church can, just so you know. And if they tell you they can, they're lying. Um, but like, we don't, I don't have control over the rest of my life. But I can walk by faith. And what I have found is that there is no greater treasure. Like, I can't, I wish I could articulate this to you. Again, it's the story of the Bible. It's the story of Abraham and Sarah. We'll keep, we'll keep going here. But like, this idea that you literally will never go wrong if you walk with Jesus, if you trust with Jesus, if you give your life to him, right? You can, you'll feel tired sometimes. You'll be like, okay, you know. You'll have a day where you're like, is this really, this feels like a lot of work, God. Uh, but the truth is, is that the actual heart of what we're doing is, is, again, we're receiving grace. We're receiving mercy, right? We're getting these things that are free, and we're saying, no, this is, this is my life. I'm going to walk in it, and we're trusting God. And the other side uh, is wonder and life and glory. I'm going to read this passage. I think I have this one. This is First Peter. We have the First Peter? Yeah, there we go. This is a great one. It's encouragement from our good friend Peter. He says, Beloved, isn't that great? This is your name. In Christ, you are beloved. You are beloved. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial. Right, not just the regular old trials, the fiery trials. When it comes upon you to test you, 
as though something strange were happening to you. Lord, why is this happening? But rejoice. What? What? This is what the Bible says Christians should do in trial. Rejoice. Rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings. I mean, look at that. He's like, this is Jesus did. You walk in, you're walking in good company. God in the flesh. Jesus Christ, the greatest human being who ever walked in. You, when, you, when you walk in suffering with him, you're in the best company you can possibly be in. Rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings that you may rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you were insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because of the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Right, this is part of what it is to be a child of promise. Part of, what, uh, part of that promise is learning uh, to see the glory of God and the goodness of God and the blessing of God that's on the other side of trial that's endured in faithfulness. And here's the thing, if you're like, man, I'm in the middle of a trial and I feel like I have been faithless or I'm walking in a place where I just feel like I'm not trusting in God or my faith is weak, here's the wonderful good news about Jesus. He's calling you today. He's saying, turn to me and look to me. He's saying, lay down that sin, lay down that self-effort, and come to me. He literally says, come to me, all who weary and are heavy laden. He says this in Matthew 11. He says, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Your salvation is not in your hands, it's in his. And he blesses you as you trust in him. What God gives us is so, so good. It's so great. And part of it is, is this tempered, faithful life that he wants you to have all right so let's keep going in this story we're going to wrap up here genesis 17 1 through 7 it says when abram was 99 years old 75 at the beginning 10 years passed hey why don't you sleep with hagar 85 14 more years what were you doing 14 years ago well, RJ was learning how to walk. <laughs> Hopefully by three you had it locked down. Uh, <laughs> what were you doing 24 years ago? I mean, you don't have to answer. I mean, I'm not, I'm, I, but like, think about this. Like, isn't that crazy? Like, Abraham is the guy the entire Jewish faith comes through. God gives the promise at an impossible time, 75, 10 years past, it's more impossible. 99, 14 more years past, it's more impossible. It's even less possible. I mean, isn't this wild? Here's what, it, let me, let's just read. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham. Hey, Abraham's got to be like, come on, man. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am God Almighty. He's the one who holds the promise of your life. He's the one who holds you. God Almighty. When you know who God is, that changes everything. Right? It, the treasure hidden in the field, I talked about earlier, it's when you see it, when you see the treasure, you see the glory. Here's the thing, like these words are short, fall far short of how wonderful, how glorious, how mighty, how crazy powerful God is. He says, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. 
that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. <laughs> he emphasizes the promise. And then Abraham fell on his faith, face. Right? He saw God, he just fell over, which would happen to all of us if God showed him, he'd just be like, boom. And God said to him, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. It was impossible at 75. It's more impossible at 85. At 99, it's virtually hopeless in human terms. And God's like, I will multiply you and make you not an offspring. I will make you a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be Abram. But your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I want you to know something. Your circumstances do not determine your identity. God determines your identity. He determines the promise, and you find it when you say yes to him and you go. Here Abraham is 24 years later, and he's still in a place where God can speak to him. He's still at a place where when God shows up, he falls at his face. He hasn't given up. He's walked. He says, I will make you. Read that. I will make you. God will make you into something. Jesus, when he came to the disciples, said, I will make you into fishers of men. That story of Legion, the guy possessed by so many demons, their name was Legion. Our our world is like, that's what they get caught up on. You know what I get caught up in that story? Read the story. Jesus casts the legion out almost effortlessly and turns the guy into an evangelist. You see a demon-possessed guy, you run the other way. You see a demon-possessed guy and you're bold enough to see the demons cast out, you send him to like therapy or something. Jesus is like, no, you've got an identity. You are mine. And he sends him and calls him to a city, a a region called the Decapolis. It was 10 cities. Those 10 cities kicked Jesus out. They were so freaked out by the miracle. The guy goes into the city. And a few passages later, it says they invite Jesus back. The guy went and successfully evangelized the entire community. God will make you something. Here he says, I will make you exceedingly fruitful. And I will make you into nations. And kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. I mean, this is a wild story. It goes on here. He says, uh, this, is, this is a few verses later, chapter 17, 15 through 17. It says, God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her. And moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, <laughs> I love that, said to himself, okay, don't listen to me here, God. Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? Can you imagine? Ladies, it was hard at 25. Multiply that times four. <laughs> Woo. I don't even know. I've been in the room a few times, but uh, he laughed. 
Like God's promise was so unbelievable, he laughed. God is able to do unbelievably good things in our lives according to his will for us. Like if you knew what God could do in your life, you wouldn't even believe it. I want you to, like if you knew, if you today decide every moment of my life, every hour of my life, it is all yours, Lord. Here's what will happen. Immediately things will come. Trials will come. Fires will come. Many will say, I'm taking the wide path. But if you say, I'm going to keep going, Jesus, and I'm going to persevere with you, and I don't understand it, it makes no sense, you made a promise, I was already old, 24 years passed, why isn't this happening? It was your idea, not mine, but you keep going. What will happen is what God will do in your life will be unbelievable and unlike anything in this world. And he has that life for you. He's calling every single one of you into this life today. This is my invitation to you. It's to, to wake up to the call of God and to say, today, I, today is the day I'm going to walk by faith into the promises of God. I'm not going to wait any longer. I'm, I'm going to cut those things out of my life that have too big of a grip on my heart, and I'm going to fill my heart with Jesus. He's going to have every single part of my life, every single part of my heart. And what that means is you're saying, Lord, use me. Take my, you, he can use it better than you. He knows what it's for. You really find who you are as you walk faithfully with him. You will find your identity. You, will, you know that sense of like, I've got a purpose in this world. I've, I've got, I've got I, like that's true. But you don't find it searching yourself. You find it as you give yourself to him. He will make you into something. I'm gonna read one last passage. The band's gonna come. We're gonna pray. I went a little bit long today. I'm so sorry. Forgive me. It's a lot of scriptures, a lot of background, a lot of backstory. But man, isn't the word of God so good? It's so good when we see the word of God, <clears throat> when it's taught. And I want you to know, like, you know, what I'm doing up here, it's not like, it doesn't take some sophisticated set of skills or like a lot of, you know, like it's, it's just the word of God revealed. This is just what's here, right? We just read a lot of scripture and we talk about it and we see it, right? We're literally like, it says 99. <laughs> wow, that's crazy. 24, we did a little math there. We did do a little, 24 years. It's like, but when we see the word of God, it's so powerful, Here's a, here's a good one for you. Let's read this with me and pay attention to Romans here. This is going to be, God, I, God, I feel like God wants to speak to you as I read this. Romans 4. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Didn't come by his effort. His promise came through faith. The righteousness of faith. The goodness of faith. For if it is the adherents to the law who are to be heirs, that is heirs to the promise, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath because no one can attain to it. But where there is no law, there is no transgression. This is why it depends on faith. And again, this isn't just a theoretical faith. This is a faith that goes. This is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father, or I've made you the father of many nations. In the presence of God, in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls existence uh, calls into existence the things that do not exist. Don't miss that. That's a great line about who God is. He, he gives life to the dead. If you're in here and you feel dead, he can give you glorious life, abundant life. And he calls into existence things that do not exist. 
in hope. Abraham, he believed against hope. He was hopeless at 99. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told. So shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, 90, and had never had a child. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Pray with me. Lord, I pray, give us this heart. Father, I pray here today, I've read a lot of your word, I've gone a little long this morning, but Father, I pray your word would go deep into our hearts, that God, we would realize there is a actual and real promise as we walk with you in faith, that you have a life for us, that it sounds crazy to say, Lord, every moment of my life, every minute, every hour, every day, everything I own, it's yours. It sounds crazy to do that. But Lord, as we walk by faith, as we give you the whole of our lives and we say, tell us what to do with it. Tell us where to go. Tell us what to live for. Lord, as you reveal these things to us in your word, you will show us wonderful glory. God, give us a faith that goes all in. Give us a faith that's fully surrendered. Give us a faith that walks with you into the wilderness, that endures with you through the trial, that goes with you into the promises that you have for us. Lord, that every person in here would say yes to you. Lord, what a high thing to ask. You say wide is the path that leads to destruction, and many choose it. Lord, I pray we would be a people that take the narrow path, that walk by faith, not by sight, that hand our lives over to you. And that, Lord, as we do, you would transform us into glory from one degree of glory to the next. Make us more like Jesus. Change the city. Lord, let us be a church that floods our city. We don't just sit back waiting for people to come to us, but we go into the city and we say, we are full of your life. We are called to be your people. And we go into our community, into the neighborhoods. God, we go where people aren't going. And we love like you love, and we walk faithfully, God, even when it doesn't go well. Jesus, I pray, bless us. Do something amazing in us today. Draw us in closer to your purposes. In your name we pray.